I'm Taylor Barnes and I'm a reporter with USA Today here in Rio de Janeiro. I'm sitting along the Flamengo Beach, which is part of the Guanabara Bay, and it's a beautiful place. To one side, I can see the Sugarloaf Mount, where tourists take cable cars uh, to go sightseeing. On the other side, I see people playing volleyball. I see women dressed in white, posing in wedding gown pictures. Uh, but there's one thing I don't see, and that is people actually swimming in this water. And that's with good reason, because the Guanabara Bay is often called Rio's toilet. And that's because here in this city, up to 60 to 70 percent of residents don't actually have a proper sewage hookup and a proper sewage treatment and that means that people are essentially flushing their toilets into waterways across the city that, like the one I'm sitting next to right now, flush into the bay waters and on warm days this becomes a pungent smell like a porta potty and it's also not just sewage which is an issue here I see blobs of trash floating in the water and farther up at the head of the bay there's a series of industries that dump their chemicals into the water which turn into a, a gray fizzy froth uh, that many activists will say is even worse than the sewage being dumped into the bay. For 17 days in August, the world will focus its attention on Rio de Janeiro for the Olympic Games. Stars like Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, and Simone Biles are sure to capture and hold our attention. Perhaps no other sporting event has the power to unite, to lift the human spirit, and to evoke national pride. But like every Olympics, these games take place amid a backdrop of issues for the host city. And while in some ways they are unique to Rio, in many ways they are emblematic of problems we've seen in games past. I'm Rachel Axon, and on this episode of Going for Gold, we'll look at the cost of these Olympics on Rio, how the city's issues could play out during the games, and what will happen when the world turns its focus away after closing ceremonies on August 21st. And we have Taylor Barnes with us again to chat a little bit more about the water and pollution problems facing Rio, uh, Guanabara Bay, uh, and the other uh, bodies of water where the uh, Olympic events will be hosted. Uh, certainly, problems that are specific to Rio, but also uh, probably a little bit emblematic of problems that Olympic host cities face. So Taylor, why is the bay being polluted the way it is by sewage and by chemicals and other things? Honestly, it is a long issue here in Rio. Sort of the city of Rio's efforts to clean up its bay uh, go back well more than two decades. Um, and it comes down to a city that grew in a very rapid way uh, without its sewage system being able to keep up with it and with that also not being a political priority throughout the years. Um, so you have a metropolitan region of well over 10 million uh, with estimates that perhaps or that half or more of that region does not have a proper sewage hookup, which largely means people are uh, dumping their waste into nearby rivers and bodies of waters that often lead to the bay. Um, and furthermore, there is a large issue in which industries dump into the bay, uh, one that's been less visible, uh, but that is visible if you are if you go out in the water on a boat yourself, like I've done before. And what do we know about just how much untreated sewage uh, gets into that bay? Sure. These estimates will vary wildly. And, of course, this is a very political issue here, depending on how much progress you want to show. Um, but so many of the estimates will say that in a metropolitan region of well over 10 million people, that perhaps half of them, uh, or even more, do not have proper sewage hookups, and largely that... Uh, their runoff is being sent into groundwater sources across the city, which largely leads to the bay. 
um, which is a huge issue. And the truth is also, these numbers are important, but you only have to come here to really get a sense of the problem, especially if you come here during the summer on a warm day, as many visitors do when they get out uh, of the international airport, which sits in the Guanabara Bay, and take your first cab into the city. People roll up their windows instinctively and would rather sit in a hot car. It's literally that putrid of a smell, so thick with sewage. Now, this is something that's certainly getting a lot of attention because of the Olympics, but this is something that affects the residents of the city every day. What concerns have been raised or what issues do they have with the health implications and illnesses uh, that this can cause? Yeah, and this is this is a really good question. And this is, of course, really at the heart of the issue, because if it's important, it's important, of course, that sailors and rowers will be able to compete healthily, but that's one event at one point in time, which is supposed to be essentially a deadline that the city would have cleaned up its bay so that residents could have a much healthier ecosystem to live on. And also there's an issue with ever really pinpointing cause and effect, but numerous illnesses have been associated with the polluted bay waters being uh, stomach illnesses, gastrointestinal diseases, even hepatitis A, um, and some studies have even said that there has uh, been that the bay waters have been linked to cases of meningitis and even pulmonary and bloodstream infections. Um, so once again, this is always hard to pin down, and there's always a long battle over being able to pinpoint this cause and effect. But it's very clear that swimming and consuming and this, well, consuming this water is very unhealthy. So, so obviously the athletes who are going to compete there will be taking every precaution that they can. When we look at the side of the games organizers, what will they be doing to try to address this maybe on a last-minute kind of Band-Aid band basis uh, during the games? Yeah, well, to, on one note for that, sort of to the games organizers' benefit, um, being winter here, it's true that the stench of the bay, which is quite famous, uh, will be lessened, which is, a simply, um, which is just simply due to the fact that it's not a hot, steamy day like Rio is most of the year around. Also, games organizers have been putting out eco-boats, which essentially collect trash, which is much more of an, is of course important, but it's much more of an aesthetic issue. Um, and I live along the bay. I've lived along the bay for six years, um, and I can tell you it is routine when I go along it to see clumps of trash ranging from bottles or ranging from unidentified objects, etc., floating around in the water. This this is something, you know, when Rio was awarded the, these games, it was, you know, seven years ago, back in 2009, and, you know, all these bids kind of offer lofty promises. And at the time, the, the bid organizers said, you know, they will clean it up so that I think 80% of the, um, the, the sewage entering the bay would be treated. How realistic was that promise in the context of what you were talking about, this being a, you know, longstanding uh, issue in Rio? Yeah, that's a really good question, and the truth is this is a long-standing issue, and this is also one that's had a lot of money dedicated to it, so it's kind of hard to believe organizers when they claim it's been lack of funds. So, for example, one really key turn in this story happened earlier this year when federal investigators began to investigate the state sewage company on fraud charges, saying essentially that they believe the state sewage company was charging for services they were not actually providing to the local population. Um, Rio has gotten gigantic loans from the Inter-American Development Bank and from the Japanese Development Bank to be able to clean up its waters. Um, so I guess the question of how realistic is it, was it, um, there was indeed hopefulness. Rio did, did indeed have time, and this would be its, one of its most major legacy projects for the local population.
so you, you sort of touched on it there in, in terms of, you know, a corruption investigation. But is, is that the only or are there other explanations for why uh, why they've fallen so far, far short of that goal? And just just how far short are we of, of that 80 <laughs> percent? Um, goodness. One thing that also is interesting is that number has been thrown around 80 percent, but it was always unclear what did that refer to. Did that refer to water right. quality improving in a certain way? Did it refer to the number of households actually having proper sewage services? Um, but the truth, of course, we're very far off from that number. Um, and I do think corruption fraud certainly seems to play an issue. And another issue seems to also really just be the fact that this requires long-term planning. This is not a project that can be done from one day to the next. Um, and it was not, it has not been a political priority over these past years in the way that something far more visible and immediate like constructing a new arena is. When, when you talk to people, when you talk to either organizers there or just, you know, residents of the city, um, you know, often we see Olympic legacy projects fall short of what was promised, but to see something like this that would have had, you know, a, a really meaningful impact, uh, you know, kind of fall flat. What do they say about the, the failure to live up to that promise? Yeah, there's really most certainly a lot of disappointment about this, and this is something that Brazilians will most certainly talk to you about. And I also think it really is, it's, it's hard to emphasize enough just what a shame this would be, because what is Rio? Rio is this a beautiful city along the ocean, along the bay, with an extraordinary dramatic geography that is iconic worldwide. And what does it have? A seriously, a very serious polluted waterways problem and a very serious traffic problem that clogs up the city with smog. And, and so the two essentially most important legacy projects promised to the local population in this Olympic bid would have been to clean up its waterways and promote mass transportation in the ways of new metro lines and bus rapid transit lines. And the cleaning up the waterways has certainly fallen short. And as far as transportation, there's many reasons to believe that's also falling short. Certainly, you know, once the games begin, so much of the focus turns to the competition, and, and rightly so, and um, these sort of big picture issues. Uh, and, you know, we've been told many times that uh, Brazilians are, are exceedingly friendly and will want to host a good event, as they've done in the, pe the past, most recently with the World Cup. Is, is there hope that, you know, at least by having this event there, it keeps some sort of pressure on or keeps a focus on, you know, what's really been a longtime problem for that city? You know, I've also been making this, uh, having the same question myself, and I have to say, Rio has also been dealing with such immediate problems this year. Rio and Brazil, um, from the economic recession mm -hmm. to impeaching the president uh, to the outbreak of the Zika virus, it really has a bit of an apocalyptic feel to it. Um, and so I also think that the conversations around the Bay and the pollution uh, have even fallen behind from some of the more immediate conversations, which are along the lines of, will athletes even come if they're afraid of the Zika virus? Well, thank you very much for your perspective on that, Taylor. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. As Taylor mentioned, the problems facing Rio are many, and the city finds itself in an entirely different place than it did when it was awarded the Games in 2009. Brazil's economy is in its worst recession since the 1930s. President Dilma Rousseff is awaiting an impeachment trial. The city is among the worst in the world for traffic problems annually and a metro line extension meant to connect the western part of the city, where many of the Olympic venues have been built, to the beaches is not slated to open until just days before the Games. In June, the state of Rio de Janeiro declared a state of public calamity, seeking help from the federal government as the city has struggled to pay public employees.
we know the police are threatening to go on strike, and they've already had a slowdown and carried placards at placards at the airport uh, saying "Welcome to Hell" and telling telling mm-hmm. tourists that they or visitors that they would not be safe if they came to Rio. Um, so th- there's there's a, a true calamity right now that has been uh, provoked by by all of the hosting expenses. That's Andrew Zimbalist, a Smith College professor and author of Circus Maximus, the economic gamble behind hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. Like many, Zimbalist questions the high costs that come with hosting an Olympics and finds they are seldom worth it for host cities. If you're talking about a figure on the cost side of approximately $20 billion, on the revenue side, we know for the Summer Olympics it's going to generate somewhere in the neighborhood of four, four and a half billion dollars. Uh, so uh, you have a you have a cost that's probably three or four times, uh, maybe five times higher than than the revenue. That's not a very good financial balance, and particularly for a less developed country like Brazil, uh, particularly for a state and a city that is in deep financial crisis and in the midst of a very serious recession, uh, it, it's simply not. A, a good economic investment to host to host the Olympic Games. Jules Boykoff, too, has seen the economic and social toll of the Games. Boykoff teaches politics at Pacific University, and he spent five months in Rio last year on a Fulbright Research Fellowship, finishing his book, Power Games, A Political History of the Olympics. Boykoff expects to see that impact on Cariocas, as residents of Rio are called, during the Games. Schools will be closed, and as Boykoff observed on a trip to Rio in July, even businesses near the beaches and tourist destinations plan to be closed as well. The main trends that people look at in the 21st century that, that cause alarm you know, are the high costs and the displacement that we talked about, the sort of militarization of the public sphere and false promises. And each venue, or rather each host recently of the Olympics, experiences these issues in varying degrees and I think we're seeing in Rio some of these issues are just in sort of brutal technicolor I mean especially the false promises around around the environment Um, and so I think yes in some ways they are unique in Rio but they're they're not so much real problem they're not just real problems it's not as easy as just a blame it on Rio thing these are Olympic problems in the 21st century that, that really need to be addressed In the American press, few problems have gotten as much attention as the spread of the Zika virus. The World Health Organization has declared an international public health emergency for the mosquito-borne illness. While it seldom produces its even relatively mild symptoms, it can lead to severe outcomes in other cases. Researchers are still learning about those, says Elizabeth Talbot, an associate professor of medicine at Dartmouth and an expert on outbreak and disease control. Um, With regards to preventing Zika, um, this, the simplest answer is prevent mosquito bites. So that is not so-called sexy advice. You know, it's not something that really gets people's attention when you tell people to avoid mosquito bites or any bug bite. But in fact, it's important to do for any number of diseases. That defect is microcephaly, which causes babies to be born with smaller than normal heads and developmental disorders. Brazil has been among the hardest-hit countries in South America, with more than 4,700 confirmed or suspected cases of microcephaly since the outbreak began in 2015, according to Reuters. 
The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has advised pregnant women to avoid travel to affected areas, as well as to encourage preventative measures for those who do travel. That includes using insect repellent, treating clothes with permethrin, wearing long sleeves and pants, and sleeping in places with good screens or mosquito nets. I worry that, um, in fact, a lot of travelers think that it's a futile endeavor to avoid bug bites, but it's not. They have the power within their activities and their choices to prevent every single bug bite that could happen to them while traveling. Despite that, many have expressed concerns about the games. In May, a group of 150 doctors and public health experts called on the WHO and the International Olympic Committee to postpone or move the Olympics because of the threat of the spread of the Zika virus. The WHO said there was no public health justification to do so, and local officials have noted that the games will occur during Rio's winter when the mosquito population is smaller. Talbot says she is compelled by the WHO calculation that travel for the games represents less than one quarter of one percent of travel to Zika-affected countries. These estimates give me a lot of confidence that it's not likely that the Olympics are going to contribute to the global spread of Zika virus. The risk exists, and that's often true in public health and disease control that we say risk is not zero, but it's extremely low. And, and thought by um, the experts who've been assembled to answer this question as, as probably not high enough to cancel what otherwise is a very important event in our, our culture. It's the importance of the games that has heightened concerns not just about crime in Rio, but of policing as well. The Olympics will be the third major sporting event the city has hosted in the past seven years, after the Pan American Games in 2007 and the World Cup in 2014. Rio organizers are bringing in around 85,000 military and police for security at the games, or about double the number for the London Olympics in 2012. It's that militarized presence that is troubling to Amnesty International, which last year released a report detailing killings by police in Rio. Renata Nader, a senior researcher and human rights advisor at Amnesty International's office in Brazil, says those often come without consequences as many killings by police are not investigated. It's difficult to predict what is going to happen, but uh, what we believe is that if uh, the problems that happened in 2007 and 2014 uh, haven't been addressed, then it's very likely that they will be um, happening ahead of, during, and after the Olympics. Amnesty International's data showed that in the seven years since Rio was awarded the Olympics, police in the city have killed more than 2,600 people. Most of them are young black men. So we identified a pattern on how the police killed uh, on our research. And what we identified was that in many cases, the police officers simply entered the favela shooting. Uh, there was no confrontation. Uh, there was no need for using firearms. There was no need for using lethal force. But the police simply entered the favela shooting first. And of course, favela are... Uh, neighborhoods are densely populated areas, and if you enter there with a rifle uh, shooting, people will get killed. Amnesty International found police in the state of Rio de Janeiro killed 645 people last year alone. They are responsible for one-fifth of the homicides in the city of Rio, Nader said. One of those deaths was 10-year-old Eduardo de Jesus Ferreira in front of his home. He was waiting for his sister to come. He was playing with his cell phone, the military police arrived and shot him in the head, the 10-year-old boy. 
the police tried to remove the body from the crime scene. They tried to put a gun into Eduardo's uh, hands after he was killed to uh, commit fraud in the crime scene and to justify and to say that it was in self-defense. But it was because Eduardo's mother uh, was hugely mobilized in front of the house screaming that a lot of neighbors came and didn't allow the police officers to remove the body and to put a gun in the crime scene. And the case was then investigated and is now um, awaiting trial. Since 2008, the units of pacifying police have been used to try to confront violence in the favelas and crack down on the drug trade. But Nader says many officers are not trained to use force proportionately. Many police officers are actually trained to kill They are trained to use force indiscriminately. They are trained to go to war, basically. Uh, Another thing is um, that it's about the perception uh, of the role of the police in Rio de Janeiro. The police force don't see themselves as an instrument of uh, guaranteeing rights, of protecting people's lives. They see themselves as an instrument for repression, for social control. As part of its report, Amnesty International made 20 recommendations. A few have been adopted, including establishing a division to prosecute police killings. But many are watching to see how the Olympics will be policed. In May, the most recent month for which Amnesty International has data, 40 people were killed by police in Rio. That's up from 17 in May last year. And we are already seeing that these violations are taking place. So we are seeing a huge increase in the number of people killed by the police ahead of the Olympics. Uh, We are seeing that the military and the national forces have been deployed to the city. There's no clarity on how they will act. There was no specific training. There was no accountability of violations and executions committed by them in the past. And furthermore, there is the serious risk of uh, brutal police repression to protest, which is something that we also saw ahead of and during the Confederations Cup in 2013 and the World Cup in 2014. Again, the cases of police brutality during the repression to protest were not investigated and brought to justice, and probably uh, this will happen again during the Olympics. fans and media will arrive for the Olympics as Rio continues to confront these issues. Some, like the spread of the Zika virus or the ouster of a president, could not have been anticipated, experts agreed. But many are problems that are likely to be exacerbated by hosting the Games, or will serve as a reminder of the Olympic legacy Cariocas will not get. Like virtually every modern Olympics, save for Los Angeles in 1984, the Rio Games are expected to go over budget. While it's fewer than the 1.5 million people pushed out of their homes for the Beijing Games, Rio has displaced 77,000 residents for construction related to the Olympics. At, at the end of it all, at the end of the 17 days, I think the, the important lesson is that the IOC has to be more responsible in picking the host cities, number one. Number two, that the IOC has to take a larger chunk of the revenue that it generates to help the host city with the expenses involved, particularly when it's a less developed city, less developed country. You have to think twice, you have to think three times and four times before you as a city decide that you want to host one of these events. It's, it's not going to turn out economically pretty. 
It's with these issues in mind that the world turns its focus to competition, to the medal count, and to stories of achievement and heartbreak after a lifetime of pursuing athletic goals. They'll be gripping, that's for sure. But many hope Rio can move forward once the games have moved on. I'm extremely optimistic about the sports side of things. I think we're going to see some remarkable, remarkable athletic accomplishments, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, but I, I also believe uh, deeply that while we watch those athletes and have optimism for them, we should also have a reality check about some of these other issues. We're capable, we're absolutely capable of doing both, cheering on the athletes and asking the Olympics to be better for the, for the everyday people of the host city who've given up quite a bit to host this lavish two-and-a-half-week party. That's it for this episode of Going for Gold. We'll be covering these issues and all the competition at the Olympics, so we hope you will visit usatoday.com sports for all of that. And we'll be podcasting from Rio throughout the games, so please follow along on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.